Hello and welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. It is brought to you this time by Squarespace and StoryWorth. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Stephen Hackett. Hello. Hey, Jason. How are you? And welcome to Liftoff, Stephen. It's good to be here with everybody else. Good to be here with you. Good to be yeah. here with our listeners, with our topics. On this fortnight, I was looking at our little Skype log, and it said, uh, last seen 14 days ago, and I thought, oh, fortnightly. Makes sense. There it is, right there in the in the Skype yeah. log. We've got some uh, stuff to talk about. It's budget season, everyone's favorite season. Mm. But can I just tell you, Jason, I actually really enjoy the budget topics. I used to not enjoy them, but now I enjoy them, because it's interesting to see how people think NASA should do different things. But I'm glad one of us loves it because that <laughs> means that you get to do it. Uh, but first, we've got some pre-flight checklist items, and we're going to start mm-hmm. with SpaceX, which uh, just had a launch. Yeah, we're recording this yesterday. Yeah, they, they, they seem seem almost routine because they kind of are, which is amazing for a space launch that not only launches things into space but returns the first stage back and lands it. Um, but they did it again. They keep doing it. Um, this the big the big thing this time was that they were trying to catch both halves of the fairing, which is basically the cover on the top um, that protects the insides from uh, aerodynamic pressure and you know stuff like that. And they pop off, and and uh, I think Elon Musk said like each half of them each the each fairing half costs about three million bucks. And he, he said, basically, if $6 million was falling to Earth, wouldn't you try to catch it? <laughs> um, so they have two boats, um, which are both named with puns. There's Mystery and Mischief. Mischief. It's, they're puns. Anyway, uh, they're, bo- they're boats with nets. They're boats with big net thingies. And the idea is that they uh, follow the fairing. The fairings have little parachutes. They got little steering jet things to try and kind of get them in the right place. And then the boats swoop under them and uh, try to catch them in uh, their nets because that way they stay dry and um, they uh, can be reused because they are uh, six million bucks worth of uh, equipment. Anyway, they've been trying this a lot. They tried this time. They were trying to catch both fairings and... um, they didn't, <laughs> but mm-hmm. better luck next time. I think the the idea here is every single part of the buffalo, right? Like just every everything should be recycled if it's possible at all. And the fairings going into the water is one of those things where um, SpaceX would really rather save that six million bucks. So they're building this uh, boat system. Who knows how much the system of boats and nets costs? But uh, anyway, so that part didn't work. But the satellite launch went fine and the first stage returning back to the ground went fine it was just the the fairing catch that they're still uh they're still working on these boats look awesome because they're boats with these giant metal arms and big nets they they look hilarious but they'll get there it's um it is interesting it is a a continued push on spacex's part to reuse as much as possible and uh this particular falcon 9 this was its third flight it had one in May, and then one again in July. And they are they are rapidly speeding up their turnaround time between these launches. You know, they want to get to a point where they can basically relaunch it pretty quickly. And they're getting that down to just a few months each time. And so that's encouraging that they're going to hit that goal. Yeah, they're working on it. This is just like they continue to cycle on, cycle on through, the, you know, turn them around faster, 
recycle more stuff. That's, you know, and that, that lowers the barrier of access uh, to flight in terms of just cost, just sheer cost of getting things into space. It, it is interesting. You said that it felt a little bit routine. They're, they're launching so often and then landing the Falcon 9s. I had the exact same thought a couple of missions ago. I was like, man, I remember like I'd, I'd take time out of my day and watch it every time and like the excitement of it, like, are they going to be able to catch it on the barge or is it going to land and land safely? And it is amazing how quickly we become used to that sort of thing. I think it's easy for us to talk now about when people felt that way about the shuttle or previous crewed missions, like, oh, they're just landing on the moon again. But you can kind of see how the public gets used to it over time. Yeah. And that's always the issue when you're talking about space is trying to keep people's interest up and say, you know, just because this seems routine. I mean, that's, that was always the knock on the space shuttle, right? Is that people just felt that it was routine. And then uh, the Challenger accident certainly brought that into sharp relief. But like this, this is, this is really hard stuff. It's just, I think a testament to how good a job SpaceX is doing in this case of um, getting this stuff working so well that it feels that way. Um, but it's not easy. This is really hard stuff. Uh, it's a good segue to to our next little item. I was here. just think, think, thinking, you know, launching stuff into space is uh, it's hard, and uh, the companies that try it don't always make it. Yeah. So this is a story about uh, Vector. It was a small launch vehicle company. Their initial rocket, I think, was planned to only be able to lift about sixty kilograms. So they're launching CubeSat size stuff, right? It's not um, it's not heavy lift. They got started back in 2016 in their hardware development. One of their uh, their CEO actually was one of the early team members at SpaceX. They had quite a few uh, SpaceX people there. They had some real uh, talented engineers, but like you just said, this is tricky and hard. And they were supposed to uh, kind of be up and running with like a full scale launch in 2018. Uh, they weren't able to do that. They were doing test flights, atmospheric testing of their rocket and. They have they built their own motor, which burned liquid oxygen. The sad news is, if you're uh, a Vector fan, I guess, or if you were employed, is that they have filed for uh, for bankruptcy protection. So August on August 7th, actually, the company was awarded its first U.S. Air Force mission, $3.4 million to launch a uh, spacecraft for the Air Force. But then just two days later, on August 9th, the company announced that its funding had fallen through and they had to lay off like half their people. So... This is sort of part two of that, that they, they haven't been able to turn it around. They haven't been able to secure funding. And uh, so they filed for bankruptcy protection, and they are also uh, have motioned the court that they can sell their technology and patents to Lockheed Martin, who is interested, I think, particularly in their liquid oxygen stuff. Um, mm. But it is uh, a company that moved into this when it, you know, it's a very hot market, a very uh, – a market with actually quite a few other startup companies. We don't talk about all of them. But Vector was in that mix, and they uh, they weren't able to pull it off, unfortunately. Oh well, it's too bad. It's it's hard. It's hard business, and we're, we're, there's so many people trying commercial space that you know we're going to see. They're not all going to make it, right? Like it's it's a, a competitive field, um, and it's hard. Space is hard all around. Uh, let's go. Let's go further out into space um, for our next prefect items. Uh, we've got a couple of fun outer solar system things and i thought um i would start by telling you about uh storms in jupiter's atmosphere perfect yeah i mean what what is what is better for the holiday season than a story from the north pole unfortunately this is a story from the south pole and it's the south pole of jupiter so i got it all wrong 
But um, a new cyclone spotted by Juno, which is, of course, swooping past Jupiter regularly um, at the South Pole of Jupiter. Now, back in 2017, Juno um, swooped past the South Pole and saw a very interesting sight. Weird things happen in these gas giants, especially in atmospheres in general, even on Earth. But certainly in these gas giants, weird things happen at the poles. Um, where you don't have, you know, at, at the the mid latitudes of these planets, you've got these cloud bands that move along. But up at the top, they're, you know, they're they're what happens up there when there, there's this whole big circulating system, and then up at the top, things can get a little bit weird. So uh, a couple of years ago, Juno, Juno spotted a really big cyclone at the center of Jupiter's South Pole, and it had buddies. It was surrounded by five other cyclones, so they actually formed a pentagon of cyclones. Um, now we've seen similar shapes in other places on Saturn. They have a very strange, uh, like hexagon of clouds that yes. at, at, at yeah. Saturn's pole, but this is a pentagon of storms at Jupiter's South pole. Now the news is that last month, Juno passed back over the South pole of Jupiter and imaged it. And now there are, uh, there are six cyclones, not five, a new one has spun up. So now it's a six pattern around that central cyclone. Um, by the way, at Jupiter's North Pole, not to be outdone, there are there's a ring of eight cyclones in a sort of double box pattern of four and four surrounding the central cyclone. So some weird cyclone parties happening at Jupiter's poles. And just for perspective, uh, a cyclone on Jupiter, uh, these polar cyclones, they're blowing at about 225 miles an hour or 360 kilometers per hour. That's like tornado speeds, basically. That's how fast they move. And uh, they're each of them about the size of the United States. So yeah, they're 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 big, and uh, so, uh, scientists don't really know exactly why this phenomenon happens. It's a very chaotic kind of thing. Um, so there's more to learn. And seeing a new one having just formed and taking a bunch of infrared pictures of it, and you can see the the temperature difference between it and the other cyclones that are in that pattern. It's all very interesting stuff for people who study this. Uh, you know, the idea of of how gas giant atmospheres and atmospheres in general behave. So it's just, it's cool. And the pictures are super weird. It is super weird. Outer solutions and planets are strange places. They, they are. And, uh, their moons can be strange places too. So can you, uh, can you take us to Saturn? Yes. I will take us to Enceladus. We did our outer system or we did our, our moon draft, I guess. It wasn't just draft. Outer, outer solar system. Uh, Enceladus went high, if I remember correctly, because it is a fascinating Mm -hmm. place. It's one of these frozen ice balls of a moon, but it's got uh, believed to be an ocean underneath that icy surface. Uh, The heat um, that keeps the water there is formed by uh, pulling of gravity as it goes around its its planet. It gets stretched and pulled, and that friction generates heat, and it's what allows water to stay liquid way out there. Uh, in the outer solar system. But one of the most interesting things about Enceladus, and, and something that I think when you look at pictures of it, it's in my mind, it's one of the most beautiful views in the entire solar system, are the tiger stripes, again, at the pole, the south pole in this case. And they're really weird. So they are uh, five of them, four main ones, and then a fifth smaller one. They run basically in parallel, about 20 miles apart. So there are these huge... Uh, ridge like cracked raked ridges across uh, the southern pole of this little ice ball and scientists have wondered what's going on there and you know it's it's weird they're in parallel like what's going on here Um, and there was uh, 
an article by Doug Hemingway. Uh, he and his team published this hypothesis that um, it makes a lot of sense. And we can think about it in terms of what we know here because uh, water and ice act the same way here. So uh, if you think about uh, water as it freezes, ice will expand. And so here we run into things like broken pipes, uh, cracked right. concrete, you know, all that sort of thing that we've all you know, seen or experienced. Mm, I, I haven't, but I, I, I've read about it. Yeah. Well, there's not ice in it's Cal- you know, California. Cal- yeah. Yeah. Right. But I've heard, of, I've heard about broken pipes that, that they happen. You've heard about ice. Yeah. Well, if you, if you uh, freeze a glass, like put a, even a bottle of beer in, in the freezer and it freezes, it's going to break the glass, right? Because the exactly. water expands. So a, there, <laughs> now we made a beer metaphor. I got it. I got it. Now. Good. You're on this. We're all on the same page Thank now. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Uh, so the thought is that after it was formed, Enceladus uh, slowly began to cool. As it cooled, some of that ocean water uh, began to freeze and then expand. And if you think about an icy crust with water underneath it and that water underneath it, part of it freezes, it's going to push out against that outer ice crust and begin to create fractures. Uh, and so that's the the hypothesis here is that these uh, tiger stripes are actually uh, basically big fractures in the the surface ice. The process could have been like up to a million years ago, and they think the even spacing is a result of uh, the the varying thickness in the ice, and it's going to fi- the weaker points are going to break first. And uh, the thing that I thought of as I was reading this, which they when had answered was, well, why is it just at the South Pole. Why wouldn't it right. be also somewhere else? And again, a very simple hypothesis that those initial fractures would have relieved the pressure elsewhere on the icy crust. So once you've got these cracks, there's a place for the energy to go and you don't have an issue, uh, like say at the North Pole, which doesn't have these stripes. They are located just at the South Pole. So a super interesting hypothesis, one that that I wanted to bring up because it is really pretty straightforward to understand like it's it's easy to wrap our heads around this it's harder to wrap our hands heads around cyclones on jupiter the size of the united states but uh yeah something that i think is neat and enceladus is of course always interesting when it comes up because when we think about places that may have the recipe for life these icy um these icy moon balls out there like they're a place where life could be because they, they have heat at the at the core and they have water and um so anytime it pops up i always pay attention i'm trying to come up with a good acronym and i can't do it but uh, i will just say this has been your outer solar system south pole report something like that <laughs> is this gonna be an ongoing segment that feels like a lot to no i think that's it i think people. i think we've, we've had it now we'll never we'll probably never see it's like again but two outer system south pole stories it's uh, new for us. Yeah, both super interesting. Mm-hmm, for sure. All right, before we move on, uh, let me tell you about our first sponsor, and that is StoryWorth, the easiest way to share your family stories. The holidays, of course, they're a great time to reconnect with families. You can catch up, swap stories, and it reminds you how funny and entertaining some family members can be. StoryWorth is a great way to stay in touch with family. When the holidays are over and everyone travels home, you can keep the family stories going online. Every week, StoryWorth emails your family members different prompts with questions that you probably didn't think to ask yourself, like what has been you know, one of the greatest surprises in life for you or what's one of the riskiest things you've ever done? And after a year, StoryWorth will compile every answered question plus a photo of your choosing 
to include in this beautiful keepsake book that they, that they then ship for free. Uh, I've been through the story with process and the questions are really good. Like it's really probing in a way that maybe um, kind of weird to do in person, but it's um, it's something that I, uh, I really enjoyed the process of and it's really, really well done. Reserve and pass on memories with StoryWorth, the most meaningful gift for your family. Sign up today by going to storyworth.com slash liftoff and you get $20 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash liftoff for $20 off. Our thanks to StoryWorth for their support of this show and Relay FM. It's the year of commercial crew, Jason. Um, <laughs> I got bad news for you. Oh, no. Uh, maybe 2020. Anyway, yeah. Uh, remember last year at this time, we were like, oh, I think it's going to be the year 2019. It's going to happen. It did not happen, friends. It did not happen. Um, but I do have some commercial crew news to, uh, to mention. So we're recording this on December 17th. On Friday, December 20th, the current plan is for Starliner, Boeing's commercial crew vehicle. That is a crewed vehicle. It is designed to have people in it. And, um, part of the commercial crew run up is you've got to send that vehicle without people in it to space to the ISS and that's like your final it's one of the final boxes to tick before you can send people into space now SpaceX earlier this year did that with Crew Dragon it went to the ISS Uh, they had a dummy floating in it Uh, it was great later that one blew up in a different test we'll get to that but uh, Starliner is uh, a go for at this point as we record Friday December 20th to do this same thing so uh the cst 100 starliner uh it's gonna have a astronaut test dummy named rosie because they love their test dummies don't they um are gonna take off from uh cape canaveral air force station actually on a ula atlas 5 rocket um and it'll you know two-day flight to the space station they'll stay there until december 28 and then they come back and they actually land at white sands missile range in new mexico um so Boeing is going to check this one off. This is this is honestly the of the two of Boeing and SpaceX uh Starliner getting into space, the crewed capsule getting into space for Starliner. I feel like this is the last major checkbox in order for commercial crew to happen in 2020. Um there is one other one which is SpaceX is still waiting to do its in-flight abort test. Uh of course, in the in-flight abort system is what failed and blew up the uh, the capsule right. um, the earlier this year, and so that's the last thing that SpaceX has to do to qualify. And it sounds like early January is the plan to do that in-flight abort test. And at that point, they would also be cleared. And um, the SpaceX says they would probably do their crewed mission, you know, at, at some time later in 2020. But there seems to be a growing confidence at NASA that both of their um, commercial crew partners are going to be ticking off the final boxes late this year, early next year. And then uh, it's just a matter of setting the schedule to get their first commercial crew missions up in 2020. Uh, it's super exciting. I mean, it's it's one step closer. This time for sure, Stephen. This yeah, time for sure. Full right? confidence. Yeah, 2020. Totally the year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about how the, the that space shuttle launch that I went to, the last shuttle launch, keeps receding into the background. It was 2011. And uh, they were so positive about like, oh, no, we've got stuff coming. We got, we got a plan. We got stuff coming. It's like, okay, that was 2011. And at that moment, the truth was that 
no astronauts would be launching from American soil to space uh, for the rest of the decade. Yeah, but 2020s, it's a new era and uh, hopefully an era for commercial crew. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to uh, do what I can to, to watch this one. So got to get up early. It's really early for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh, 3.40 in the morning. So yeah. uh, maybe, maybe. I'll tell not. you how it goes. <laughs> yeah, I'll wake up and see how it went. Yeah. And of course, they land um, on land, right? They're going to land out in New Mexico. They don't, yeah, land, they don't do a white, water landing. White Sands, where there was, I think, one shuttle landing in White Sands. Um, I think, yeah, I think so. So uh, that, that's kind of a fun little quirk, too, that they're, they're landing back on uh on land and not uh splashing down yep just the way uh russia does it right <laughs> the the yeah. soyuz capsule does the same thing where they've got retro rockets and airbags mm-hmm. and all sorts of stuff so it seems weird but the reality is most capsules land on land and not water <laughs> right it's budget time are you excited so excited ah uh, yes well as we've said here repeatedly the, the fact is space is not just about the pure a clear-eyed quest for human knowledge and to push the limits of humanity. It's about politics and it's about money. So we have to talk about the budget because what is more political and monetary Good. than a government Perfect. budget battle? I said I set you up. Go go get them, no, Stephen. I'm ready. So the uh, everyone, hope you're sitting down. The 2020 Defense Financial Services and Homeland Security Budget Bill is here. Uh, It includes $22.63 billion for NASA. Uh, The request was 22.62. So it's that big of a number. It's effectively they got what they wanted as far as uh, the amount of money. But like the previous several years, the priorities that NASA and the Trump administration outlined in their budget request, Congress has come back and said, no, these are going to be your priorities. And I don't know, as we go through this, I don't know how much Congress has changed what kind of the place it's been the last several years. Um, And Artemis in 2024 is not exactly at the the top of the list, right? which which we'll get into. So it's not that it's cut, SLS lives forever, but it is um, not as high in the list, even though the dollar amounts are basically the same. So so an example of this is the Lunar Lander Program, where you got some private companies bidding and building these lunar landers. Uh, NASA requested $1.4 billion, and Congress gave them less than half at $600 million. And always the optimist Jim Bridenstine of NASA tweeted, first congressional author- or, uh, authorization for money to spend on human landings on the moon it's a big day and it's like yeah you got less than half of what you were asking for though so jim yeah. Stein playing the game he's good at it he's a, he is good he, at it so he knows how congress works yeah he does um so uh, sls lives forever 2.6 billion dollars <laughs> for ongoing sls development one of the things the Trump administration had asked for was to basically put on hold the exploration upper stage. And Congress said, no, here's $300 million. Please keep working on that. So NASA and the administration had wanted to focus on getting the core stage of the SLS, getting some of those built and sort of pushing off uh, the EUS until later. But as, as we get further into this, that upper stage is required for other things Congress wants to do. And so Congress is going to keep that 
that ball rolling. I don't know how far $300 million gets you in that development, but it is way more than zero <laughs> that they had asked for. Uh, $1.4 billion for ongoing Orion development, $1.4 billion for exploration, research, and development. So that includes the aforementioned $600 million and then $450 million for the artist formerly known as the Lunar Gateway. Hmm. SLS budget. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. It's not. It's not really a segment, but it's like well, we we're going to keep doing the SLS segment for a long time to come. I think, Stephen. It, it's think. it's basically like fixing stone in the middle of our Google it's Doc. Like <laughs> everybody else stands around and goes, "Is the SLS a good idea? And is it really coming? And how late is it going to be? And are the pieces that you promise going to be the pieces you deliver?" And then, meanwhile, every year, uh, Congress is just like, "Okay, here's a couple billion. Yep, keep keep okay. working. Yeah, keep all right, working." A category called space technology will get $1.1 billion, so almost as much as Orion and the exploration, research, and development budgets. This covers a lot of things, but some of the significant ones were $110 million for nuclear thermal propulsion, which has been a topic I want to talk about and we just haven't made it to it yet. But uh, NASA is working and its partners are working on various propulsion systems. One of those is nuclear. There are also um, like some ion stuff. Like it's a whole big list of like other ways we can move spacecraft. Um, 60 million of that 110 is earmarked for a flight demonstration by 2024. So this is, uh, they take the year off of Artemis but put it on this. Um, but they are uh, continuing this research. Uh, 48 million for solar electric propulsion. So continue to improve solar panels and, and energy efficiency. We talked about that with Juno where, you know, it has these giant, absolutely giant solar panels. And uh, previously going that far out, you couldn't collect enough energy from the sun to power a spacecraft. They were all uh, powered by little nuclear heaters. And right. Juno is sort of a, a new generation of spacecraft in that regard. And so that sort of research will continue. And then something that that jumped out at me because uh, the SpaceX launch I went to that failed had uh, these like earthworm experiment on earthworm experiment aboard with some elementary school kids in their room, and it was really cool to like talk to them and and uh, it was the second time the earthworms had blown up so they they had a rough patch but uh, five million dollars for K twelve and college student uh, payloads so I I'd love that this makes it in there like that it has its own line item because. Um, it's good. It's you know this is a, a public agency, and one way you are a public agency is you you work with kids and students across the country. And I, I like that. That's good. That and then this is uh this was the big uh, controversy a while ago, wasn't it? There was a there was a proposed budget that cut all that stuff out. Yeah, it, it cut out basically all of uh, well the, the administration from their side had requested cutting basically all of NASA's education programs. So in addition right. to the five million for payloads. There's $120 million for STEM engagement that Congress uh, is unwilling to let the administration have its way in getting rid of those things, which right. um, I'm really happy for. So the, the $5 million and $120 are separate, but both really important in this conversation. Uh, moving on a little bit, we get uh, $502 million for future New Frontiers missions. We got to talk about space telescopes. Because that's always fun. Yeah, they're 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 very important and very expensive. <laughs> they are very expensive. So there's 91 million dollars for uh, upkeep of Hubble. There is um, 
423 million dollars for the James Webb Space Telescope. However, they did not move the 8.8 billion dollar cost cap that was enacted last year. So this is just continuing to fund up to that cap. They're not going over that at this point. Right. I don't know what happens when they hit that cap. We will find out in a future episode. Have they been told don't do it? <laughs> James Webb <laughs> and uh, and mm. W first continues to live on. This is a uh, a telescope that has been again batted around by the administration. Uh, it's an important one for the the community of researchers who would use it, and uh, it gets five hundred and eleven million dollars for its continued development. Yeah, it survives again, like uh, like some of these other programs, kind of surviving the. Uh, the attacks against it from uh, some party or other and, and living to fight another day. There are a couple like oddball things in this. We've talked a lot about NASA and the U.S. government's policy towards China in the realm of space. This bill continues those limitations uh, that NASA and the White House Office Science of Technology basically have limited space cooperation with China. So no change there. Um, the White House National Space Council, which I've watched a couple of their meetings, Mike Pence talks for a while. Um, still basically a firewall there between us and China in, in the in this realm. And um, our old friend, the Europa Clipper, makes makes an appearance again. Do you want to tell people about that? Yeah, this is the... Um, so John Culberson was the head of the Appropriations Committee, I think. Um, Republican in Houston. Obviously, big fan of space, as you should be if you're a politician in Houston. And uh, he... The, he's the one who kept pushing a Europa mission and funding a Europa mission. And NASA, through the years, through multiple administrations, would be like, mm, we don't really need that money. And, and he would say, you will spend this money on <laughs> right. the Europa mission. They're like, all right, okay, you're Congress, you're in charge, fine. Um, and he was voted out of office. And so there was a real question about, like, what happens to Culperson's pet program? He's pushed it along so far at this point. Will it continue to survive? And... Culberson's friends in Congress apparently uh, want that work to continue. So the bill uh, continues to fund the Europa Clipper mission. So a probe to Europa and also a lander that they're supposed to develop along with it that would actually land on Europa and search for signs of life. Um, and that they would be, uh, you know, their SLS clients, right? You got a, you got a future perspective business for the SLS um, the bill extends the dates for launching them by two years. So Europa Clipper can be launched more realistically, uh, 2025 instead of the original target of 2023, uh, because in addition to funding these things, the, the bills actually say like, by this date, you will launch. They put into law that NASA will launch a mission by a certain date. Um, and the lander is now, uh, has until 2027 instead of 2025. Uh, so, you know, Europa Clipper just proceeds on even without John Culberson uh, pushing it in uh, in committee. And I mean, that's one reason the SLS and the exploration upper stage continue to get funding, right? Like it's all tied together. And we've talked about the legality issue of the Clipper being basically married to the SLS, like legally, uh, which is mm -hmm. very interesting. And, and again, SLS never dies. But um yeah, I, I, you know, I'm a fan of the the Clipper mission. I think it's a great idea, and I think yeah. that it's um, having a lander is even more interesting. So I was glad to see that this didn't um, go away with the changing of the guard in Congress. Yeah, I agree. It's fun. It's it's a funny thing that sort of one person championed it, 
But, uh, you know, planetary science, outer solar system exploration doesn't always get the attention in Congress that it probably deserves. And uh, Culperson kept Europa in the forefront. He must have really liked 2010 when he <laughs> read it or saw it in the 80s. But for whatever reason, it, it, it proceeds. And that's great. Yeah, so we uh, I mentioned a little bit earlier about the, the Artemis thing. Part of that is that just that the budget doesn't fall into the categories that Brian Stein and others had asked for. Uh, but in this, Congress is asking NASA again for a detailed multi-year plan with funding and schedule details. And NASA has produced some of that. It seems like Congress wants uh, more of that. You know, even though they did meet NASA's amended request. It's uh, it's not the, the money is not in the um, sort of the the, the categories they wanted. Uh, so so yeah, that's that's the budget, and you know it's it's tied to a bunch of other stuff. So I would imagine that it will just move forward from now, and this will be the the context for NASA to operate under here pretty soon. Yeah, and as polarized as our um, our government is right now between the the houses of Congress, especially and. Uh, you know, we've got one party in charge of the House and one in charge of the Senate. It seems like with a lot of these budget things, you know, they're cutting they're cutting deals to pass budgets. Like it's not um, there's actual things happening in Washington for for some of this stuff, and uh, I think that's good to see because uh, the paralysis of not knowing like if you're going to get funding is not not great. Passing a continuing resolution, continue spending last year's funding levels. You know, this is uh, this is this is better. Budget time. You survived. See? I did it. It wasn't so I bad. I made it. Not so bad at all. Uh, let's take a break. And then I've got, uh, there's some fun stuff to talk about still. Some We got some science. We got some more science from the far out and the further out. Sounds good. But uh, first, I'm going to tell you about our other sponsor this week, which is, of course, the most appropriate sponsor for Liftoff, always, because it's got space in the name. It's Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for whatever your next idea is. You can get a unique domain. You can use their award-winning templates. whole lot more. Whether you want to create an online store, a portfolio for your work, a blog to get your thoughts out on the internet, Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do it. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades. They take care of all of that. All you have to do is use Squarespace and the website happens. It's kind of amazing. There's award-winning 24-7 customer support. If you do need help, they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name so you don't have to be, you know, slash whatever, slash something dot whatever. It's just your domain name and that's it. And that's where your site lives. And of course, all those award-winning templates are beautifully designed to show off your great ideas. Steven, you always tell me, you, you know, when you are working with, um, like a nonprofit or somebody who's just like, oh, we need a website. You, um, Doctor Stephen comes in and always just diagnoses them with, uh, with a little, or you give them a prescription, right? It's like Squarespace. Here, this is this is the answer. Absolutely. I just took a site live uh, for a friend of mine who owns a fitness center, and he, you know, he had some website built on something else. He couldn't edit it. It didn't work on mobile, and we rebuilt it top to bottom on Squarespace and. It looks awesome, and most importantly, he can go in and make changes now. So that's right. If he has a new class he wants to offer or a new coach, he doesn't have to come back to me and pay me. He doesn't have to worry about finding a webmaster. He can just point and click and do it, which is really cool. Yeah, once you get it all set up, then you're just in a little uh, little posting system where you can post a new item and you know make a change, and it's all just right in there. It couldn't be easier. Um, definitely. If you even if it's not you, if it is a friend, right? Like somebody's like, "What do I do?" Uh, maybe you're a little more technically inclined. You can help them out. But Squarespace 
is a great tool to build those websites. It's uh, fantastic. So plans started just kind of hard to believe here, $12 a month. That's it. Uh, you can start a trial with no credit card required at all by going to squarespace.com slash liftoff. And when you do decide to sign up, use the offer code liftoff. You'll get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain, and you'll show your support for our podcast. So go to squarespace.com slash liftoff and use the code liftoff to get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you, Squarespace, for supporting Liftoff and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. All right. Our next topic you put in, and it says so yes. many exoplanets. So many exoplanets. So uh, really uh, nice article at space.com that uh, I, I will uh, I'll summarize here, but Megan Bartels wrote it. It's a good, good article, um, an angle that I had not really seen before. We talk here a lot about exoplanets and about how you know, not too long ago, it was a theoretical thing that there were that there were planets around other stars. We knew they were probably there, but we had never seen them. And uh, we've come a long way. There are lots of exoplanets now. We know about, uh, we have proof of lots and lots and lots of them. But this story is about a funny side effect of us getting so good at finding exoplanets or at least exoplanet candidates that then need to be confirmed. There are so many exoplanet candidates now that although the very best ones, the ones that look the most interesting, uh, get prioritized, uh, the rest of them just kind of sit around uh, as a like, also these could also be exoplanets, but there are so many that scientists who want to confirm them kind of pick the cream of the crop. Um, and this is the trick is you have to confirm their existence. You can't just say, well, we made this one observation and saw this blip. And so that's an exoplanet. Um, it generally requires using different instruments uh, to confirm them, uh, those instruments are in high demand, which means it can take a lot of time, up to a year, to confirm that a particular exoplanet candidate is real. Um, as a result of this, to try and ease the bottleneck, uh, the exoplanet community came up with a statistical concept called validation. The idea that there are so many of these planets and so many different signals that you could actually do a little bit of math, uh, kind of do a statistical analysis of the data and uh, that will give you a big, and we've talked about it when we've talked about massive numbers of exoplanets being added, that a lot of times they come out of that validation process, except even the validation process now takes time and is expensive. And so um, there are, and, and there's more data all the time. So TESS, which we've talked about here, is expected to confirm about 16,000 new exoplanets wow. but keep in mind that's that's <laughs> out of between a hundred thousand and three hundred thousand candidates right so so it's a fraction of the candidates that end up getting confirmed and of course as you mentioned earlier with the funding of w first w first is on the horizon and is expected to confirm even more exoplanets and create even more exoplanet candidates so it's just a funny story that we have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to potential exoplanet data we're now very very capable of looking out into the into the heavens with enough precision to see those little wobbles and those little those little blinks and say i think that might be an exoplanet but we there are so many stars and we are seeing it so well now that we have so much data that it's kind of overwhelming and we are going to be getting more data as the years go by so you know it's just an interesting story to watch that we went from nothing to almost like an impossible number that's very hard to manage and takes a long, a long time. And then there are probably a lot of interesting things that will never really be addressed because they're just too low on the priority list because there's so much data about exoplanets now. It's amazing to think it wasn't that long ago where 
no one had had detected the first one. Yeah, this is this is the real like you know um, for our era right now. I feel like this is one of the areas, especially in space stuff, where we have our 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 conception of the universe has changed so dramatically in such a short period of time. Like these these changes happen, but like for our era right today to be able to point back 20 or 30 years and say our knowledge about planets around other stars in our galaxy went from zero to overwhelming amount of data that we don't even know what to do with and that and that leads to not only understanding about star formation and planetary formation and weird things that we could never have even imagined weird solar systems all the hot jupiters but statistically right it's also interesting because we start to see patterns when we look at these different exoplanet systems and that gives us an idea we we have enough data now that we can start uh, trying to generalize and saying oh so what about our solar system is common and what about it is uncommon and does that have something to do with us being here on planet earth that that life was able to emerge here um and that's pretty cool too and again we're going from zero to 60 here we literally had nothing uh 30 years ago and now it's too much incredible speaking of which speaking of incredible uh science we talk about landing on like Mars or the moon sending probes out into the outer solar system. But another thing in our era that has been happening that is really interesting is us sending spacecraft to asteroids and comets. And in some cases, taking a piece and bringing it back to earth. Sample return missions. Yeah, for sure. So the, uh, the news here is, is that Osiris Rex, which is at the asteroid uh, Bennu, they have found a spot. They found a place to execute that sample return. When the spacecraft got to its its target asteroid, the team was surprised that that the surface was basically covered in these uh, pretty large boulders and big rocks. And you really need fine grain material for this uh, process to take place. So basically, the spacecraft is going to get really close. It uses uh, compressed air basically, and blast the surface really hard and it captures some of the debris that comes back. So it's got to be really close. And if you have big rocks or big boulders, they, they're they not going to come loose, right? And if they do, then you have a big problem. Uh, as a spacecraft, you don't want to get hit by something big. And so they've been looking for a year, mapping the surface, finding a place, and uh, they now have that. They've named it uh, Nightingale, and it is a uh, a crater within a crater near the North Pole of this asteroid. So they, they have the place uh, where they are going to get super close and, you know, hit it with a, a can of compressed air and grab some grab some rock dust. That's good. That'll clear out their keyboard, too. It's good. Yeah, you as you got to hold it at the right angle. Sorry, the yeah. 75-degree angle. It's, it's a computer <laughs> reference. Yeah, it's, it's clever. No, it's good. Uh, so this uh, will, will happen... I think sometime next year, but between now and then, uh, they're going to do dress rehearsals. So they're going to uh, practice bringing the spacecraft in, running through the instruments, uh, continuing to verify that this location is where they want to do this. And then, uh, yeah, the the real sample collection will happen in July. And then, of course, it'll it'll be quite a while before we get that back here on Earth. It's cool. It's cool. It's hard to bring things back. We've talked about that a little bit, too. It's hard to bring things back from space. It, it is. You know, there's been, you can count on one hand the sample return missions, and 
you know, we're talking about like this crater within a crater. Oh, like, maybe in your mind, you're picturing just like this really peaceful place. It's so unpeaceful that they named a giant three-story boulder near it Mount Doom. <laughs> I heard you like craters. You got you to miss Mount Doom. You, get, you don't want to hit Mount Doom on your way in or out. Yeah. I don't recommend it. Mm-mm. It's a bad idea. Uh, anyways, that, that sort of cracked me up. Uh, <laughs> that's what they they named this big rock yeah. nearby. Because they're getting a sample, right? So it's their precious that they got to bring back. And oh, gotta... that's good. Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah. We're on top of it today. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got all the references today. Osiris Rex is Frodo. I'm trying to, like, flesh this out. Oh, uh-oh. Um, who's who's Samwise? Is that I don't me know. and you? Bennu is clearly Mordor. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But he's taking the ring the precious out bring it home it's sort of that's inside out of yeah it's more of a a a, a golem kind of situation yeah. Yeah, i think we, we i think we need to go back to the hobbit instead <laughs> you've done it wrong frodo you're supposed to leave the ring not bring it back uh, hmm. so sorry yeah so sorry. we apologize to all the tolkien scholars yeah. that are out there <laughs> they're all mad at us um i feel like it's time for us to go uh but, but I have one more item. Um, we're going to take the next fortnight off. So we'll be back here on January 14th for our next episode. Mm-hmm. I'll do a little little housekeeping there. Um, and a little holiday message uh, for all the listeners out there. I cannot believe I'm going to do this, but let's try it because I, I just started typing it, which is, Stephen, you know Hallie and Lovejoy, Hail Bop and McNaught, Yakutaki and West, Caesar and Donati, but do you recall... The most interstellar comet of all. I, I'm going to stop singing now, but two I. Well done. Two I Borisov. I kind of messed it up. I had it better when I was rehearsing it. Uh, two I Borisov, the interstellar comet, is flying on by. It's gonna. It's gonna make a holiday pass. Its closest approach to the sun is uh, has just passed. It was December eighth. It was not that close. Not that close. Don't get excited. It's outside of the orbit of Mars, um, but it's going to continue on out. It's going to brighten as it goes by us. Uh, it's going to pass within about 180 million miles of the Earth on December twenty eighth. So uh, I guess wave at the interstellar comet as it passes back out of the solar system into parts unknown in the galaxy. Um, I. I you know, technically, it's being lit by the sun and stuff coming off of it is reflecting the sun's light. But you could say it glows. Man, that's, I can't, that's all I got. I can't add to that. So we're just going to we're just going to wrap it up right here. Yeah, let's hear it for Interstellar Comets is what I'm saying. Tis the season. It's the reason for the season. Interstellar Comets. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. We'll be back here in 2020, the year of commercial crew. But until then. <laughs> until then, if you want to find links, uh, you can uh, see them in our show notes at relay.fm slash liftoff slash 114. It's 114. While you're there, there's a link in the sidebar. You can send us an email or you can uh, find a link to our Tumblr where we post links to things in between episodes. And we're going to have a little a little uh, time off at the holidays. Uh, we'll, we'll be sure to get some stuff up there. Um I'd like to thank our sponsors this week, StoryWorth and Squarespace. And Jason, yes. until our next decade, depending if you think it ends in 2020 or 2021 or whenever you think it ends, uh, say goodbye. Borisov, do-do-do-do-do-do, Borisov, do-do-do-do-do-do, it's an interstellar comet. That's all I got.